a lot of companies would be scared to try this out because it just looks like, you know, maybe you're engagement farming or maybe you're just trying to get more followers. But at the end of the day, you know, people aren't going to remember that. People are going to see your stats and you're going to have distribution and that's what's important. Welcome to W3G, the official podcast for Mice and XYZ and your go-to hub to learn the latest developments in growth and marketing in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Julie Octaviano, head of Dow Operations and Client Success at Mice and XYZ. And I'm Blake Minho Kim, co-founder of Mice and XYZ. Each week, we'll talk to leaders in Web3 about the state of the industry, what they're building, and best practices around all things Web3 marketing and growth. W3G is a place for everyone to get smarter in public together, whether you're Web3 native or novice. So tune in each week as we talk to the best and brightest so we can all grow together in the world of Web3. Today, we'll be speaking with Sarah Liu, head of product marketing at Layer3, a platform helping on-chain companies reach, acquire, and retain users through powerful interactive experiences. In this episode, we went deep into the weeds of Web3 growth, talking about the power of social media, the community content partnerships flywheel, and the importance of constant experimentation. This conversation was rich with insights for any founder or marketer looking to build a robust Web3 go-to-market strategy. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's episode number 19 with Sarah Liu. All right. Thanks so much for hopping on and chatting with us today, Sarah. How are things? How are things over in London? I'm great. Great. How are you? Doing well. It's Thursday over here. I won't give a date because it will give away when we record this, but I'm excited for the weekend. How are you feeling, Julie? I'm good. I am also excited for the weekend, the long (laughs) American weekend. (laughs) There we go. There we go. But this is going to be fun too. So I'm really excited. You know, Sarah and I have been chatting for a while and and I'm pumped to actually just sit down and and be able to learn a bit more about what you're up to, talk about layer three and, you know, just dive into all things Web3 marketing. So to get started, every episode, we like to ask people about their origin story. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself, your professional journey, but also your Web3 journey and how you got to Layer 3 and what you're doing today? Yeah, of course. So I feel like I have a bit of an unorthodox story. Unorthodox being that I never really planned to get into the tech or startup space. But when I was in college, I was basically studying to become a lawyer. And before that, I grew up in Beijing. So I grew up around a lot of change. And then when I just graduated, that was when the pandemic started to hit. I wanted to try something a little bit different because I figured, you know, life is short. So I worked for a creator economy startup in Beijing. And that was a really crazy experience because I think that was the thing in 2021. And then in 2022, I started thinking about just some of the negative impacts of just like platforms and algorithms, especially being so immersed in the creator economy and working with a lot of creators and influencers, I noticed that there were kind of so many like negative effects of these big platforms. We worked especially a lot with TikTok. So that was definitely something that led me to read read more about Web3 as well as just to dive deeper into what Web3 could mean. And then I just really started getting interested in everything that Web3 had to offer. So not just Web3, but also crypto, everything on chain providing greater financial access. That was something that really resonated with me since I grew up in China and I had a lot of international friends and my worldview wasn't always so US centric. So I got the value prop of crypto almost immediately. And I think right now I'm still really driven to advance that mission. So right now I'm working for layer three, which is a it's a, I like to say it's a combination between Duolingo and Product Hunt for crypto and Web3. So what you can do as someone who's new to crypto or someone who's even already immersed in crypto is you can come to our platform, you can complete educational and interactive quests, do stuff on-chain, learn on-chain skills, and then through that, you can track your progress and achievements through the platform. So it's actually a really fun way to just explore Web3 products, as well as just to get a sense of what the ecosystem is like. And we think it's an alternative to you know discovering something on Twitter or Discord where it can be very messy and often you have no idea what you're getting into. We're a fun and safe way to do that. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, you know, I've, I really believe in what Web3 has to offer. And I think that I definitely like want to continue down this path. But yeah, I'm very young as well. So I'm learning as I go. And I think everyone in this industry is just trying to figure out what works for them because it's so new. 
So I think it's just a really exciting time to be here and I'll probably continue to be here for a while. Yes. That's what we want to hear, right? I love the spirit. (laughs) I actually had a a question about going back to layer three. So just to make sure you don't have to have any sort of product or technical literacy to engage on the plot, I guess an app or platform, like it's literally for anyone who is just curious about, I guess the product side specifically within the space. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a lot of people building in Web3 because it's so developer friendly and there's this spirit of forking a protocol, building on top of a protocol, building with each other. So it's very collaborative in terms of developing a product. And so you have this abundant like ocean essentially of products and very vast ecosystems where you have an ecosystem with its own chain with apps built on top of it. You have something like Cosmos with app chains and like tokens for each chain and app. So there is a lot of, there are a lot of products and organizations and DAOs and companies so forth building amazing things out there. But right now I think Web3 just doesn't have the distribution or the friendly UX of some traditional Web2 platforms. And I think that's what Layer 3 is looking to provide. So Anyone who doesn't have, you don't need to have Web3 or crypto experience. You don't even need to, we're we're aiming towards a vision where you don't even need to have a wallet to interact with Layer 3 and be on Layer 3. Right now you do, but it's essentially like you create a wallet and you're like, oh, okay, what do I do now? Because I imagine that all of our journeys with that first step probably took a long time and took a lot of figuring out. I just... I remember paying like so much in gas, just trying to do an on-chain transaction, not knowing no why, not knowing why I was rejected, not knowing the difference between cold and hot wallets. And the more you dig in, the more you just realize how technically confusing and how new all of this is. So we're just trying to abstract that away and make it easier for everyone to access what's already being built and what is currently being built. No, that that's really incredible, and I'm excited to dive deeper, right? So let, let's do that. So I guess, could you kind of take us to the beginning? Because I think what's been really interesting is, you know, even since my own journey in Web3, which technically started 2017 with like crypto and stuff, but it wasn't like Web3 wasn't a thing, right? So I think like 2020 is when a lot of us really started to enter this market and this whole idea of Web3 even started to come to life. So would love to kind of hear about even your transition from, and I and it's actually interesting when you paint in that light is, Web3 is very similar to the creator economy in a different way, right? Where it's like, as you said, that framing of everyone can just fork, everyone is building, everyone's just putting out products. But I guess the difference between that and creator economy is I think creators are generally better at marketing their stuff than products in Web3 are. So we'll love to kind of take it all the way back to the beginning. It's like, how did you end up joining Layer 3? And then where were you guys at that point in your journey? Because now what I would want to do after that is start to kind of go through that evolution of, you know bull market, bear market, they're very different kind of vibes and and feelings and tactics, right? But let's just start with the journey. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, just to provide a bit of context on what I was doing at my previous job, I was basically very in the weeds with creator marketing and influencer marketing. So we kind of worked as both an in-house production agency as well as an influencer agency. It was a company that was trying to connect the supply chain in China to creators abroad. So the the very notion of like creators having their own economies as well as their own companies to monetize, that was what we were trying to do. It didn't work out for various reasons, but I think what drove me to Web3 was I, I like personally I experienced so many frustrations working with platform algorithms and these monetization models. I think the one thing we were trying to do a lot was just to like game the algorithm. And it made me really question existentially like what my role meant because all I was doing was trying to figure out the TikTok algorithm and how to make content appear at the top. Sometimes it was just completely random. And we actually worked with ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, who said that they would, you know, this is now an unknown fact, but they would heat certain creators and make them rise to the top of the algorithm if they thought that those creators would bring them more money. So this just didn't particularly feel right with me. And I think I was looking for a more equitable model where creators could really own their platforms, like something like Lens. Obviously, that's still not fully fleshed out. And 
you know, there's not widespread adoption of it yet. But that's initially where I was heading. But then I just, as I said previously, I just was interested in everything Web3 at that point. So I started exploring DeFi, I started exploring DAOs. I think a year ago, so Layer 3 was actually a DAO operations platform. We posted bounties on our site and then companies or DAOs who would post these bounties would then reward people who participated in them. So they're kind of like contests where, you know, we would incentivize people to write a Twitter thread for $250 or $250 I remember USDC. That. I think it's when we yeah, were yeah. first starting Myosin and we were like thinking about DAOs. Like that's, I think, the original context, right? It's like it was the one of the original like questing platforms, I guess, which we'll dive into in a bit. But yeah. 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 So it was a very different model from what we have now. But what I like, basically, when I started out, I was on Twitter a lot. I was trying to build an audience. I think I did pretty successfully at that. And then I ended up applying to Layer 3. I just wanted to really start and get into it. Like I just wanted a job in Web3. I wanted to get down and dirty, even though I hadn't had much direct experience with product marketing specifically, or Web3 for that matter. I ended up getting rejected after like two interviews. And then I just told them, look, I'll create blogs and I'll do content marketing for you as a contractor. And then we can see where we go from here because I wanted to try freelancing anyway. After about two months, I think, you know, they saw the value in content marketing as well as some of the social media marketing I did for them. And that directly came from my experience with working with TikTok creators and just having experience in content production. So I do think that's a very, very like underappreciated skill in Web3, like the marketing aspect, telling a story. I think all of that was very applicable to my new role. And then they gave me a full-time offer. So I've been there since then. I've grown our social media a lot. I'm working on some more like beauty facing growth oriented and product oriented initiatives now, but I think product marketing is a pretty good summary of all of that, or it's where the intersection of all of that is essentially you're trying to dial, like basically you're trying to boil down the key value proposition of your product and then sell it to people while telling a compelling story. So yeah, that's a, that's where I got where I am now. Oh my God. That's like so interesting and so timely because we've been talking about socials so much on like on our side of myosin. And I did a little bit of research on your LinkedIn and I saw the numbers that you were able to grow like each channel from. And I'm just like, I was like blown away. And I'm like, okay, I definitely have to ask you about this. I, obviously you're a pro you, you know, with your time at TikTok and just, you know, generally like understanding how to, you know, work, work in the creator economy. So with that said, I would love to just like, I know Blake, you probably have a million questions, but I want to kind of take a step back to kind of the under part of web three, as you mentioned, which is like the social and content creation and the storytelling that goes into that and dig into like, what are some of the strategies that you implemented, I guess in general, right within your, like, you know, early days of your career. And then how did that change in web three? Like, how did you get layer threes channels to massively grow the way that you did? Was it the same sort of strategy that you were doing before? Is there some nuances? What about like product do you think sticks on social versus doesn't? Is educational content like any and all tidbits about like the strategy that you implemented and how that was executed, I think would be really helpful. You know, it's interesting because I do feel like with social algorithms, there is a way to go about them, but it's also not like something you can master 100% ever. Not like, you know, if you're an engineer and you know how to code this one thing, you'll be able to master it. But I don't know if that's like the experience with engineers. But basically <laughs> at my last company, I think the one thing, and it was really different being in China too, just the pace that startups operate with there, the competition, it's just so fierce, so intense. Like, it's honestly unlike anything I've seen working in American companies. And I think one thing they pushed a lot was it was just, you know, try as much as you can and don't be afraid that it won't work out with like prior planning. So I feel like sometimes in American companies or just the cultural difference is that there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of research that needs to be done before something is launched. If you're in marketing, you probably have to appeal to multiple stakeholders. You have to get things reviewed. But when I was at my last startup, 
we were basically putting out content like almost every day, if not every week. And then, you know, we were working with creators in-house who would come to us and we would write their scripts. We would try as many different things as possible. If it didn't work, we would just keep going. And there were a lot of times it didn't work, but we were never embarrassed to fail. And I think with marketing and Web2 marketing in general, probably a lot of people take a lot of time to think like, oh, what is going to be the impact of this one post? Or how are we maximizing for engagement? How are we like conveying the right message? But at the beginning, our social media with layer three was just very experimental. Like we tried like five different ways of posting. We tried to center on what worked. And I think what helped with knowing the TikTok algorithm was that the more you actually post, the more the algorithm prioritizes you as a creator and your posts. So the more they'll push it into people's feeds. And that's something I figured out very early on was that you know, there's often this concern like, oh, if we post every day, we'll annoy our audience. And I'm like, no, we post every day. We have content every day. Like, think of it from a user perspective. If someone is posting every day and you follow them, you're still probably only going to see them once a week. So we just have to maximize that reach. And then that was one of the key strategies I used with social. But I would say like our product driven strategy was also just as important. So we spent a lot of time trying to create this native growth loop in product that was very tied to socials. So when we launched NFT rewards on layer three, one thing we noticed was that we could mint NFTs as rewards for quests and then incentivize sharing by making users share the NFTs on Twitter before they could claim it. So this provided a really powerful growth loop in which we continue to iterate on this, but now we have a complete reward system that consists of like ecosystem achievements, NFTs, Discord roles, tokens, and more. But every time that users get these achievements, they're incentivized or prompted to share it. And I think this really worked because this was like a huge unlock for us. We realized people love collecting these. They wanted to share. It gave them some sense of like social clout. So this was a really effective experiment. But I think a lot of people... A lot of companies would be scared to try this out because it just looks like, you know, maybe you're engagement farming or maybe you're just trying to get more followers. But at the end of the day, you know, people aren't going to remember that. People are going to see your stats and you're going to have distribution. And that's what's important. That's so powerful. And I really like that because I think that's something we, it's actually something Julie and I were sharing just the other day about a client that we work with. And I think sometimes not everyone is willing to experiment. Right. And so I think that's really refreshing just to hear in that we don't know what works and and particularly for like product marketing. Yeah. And I think on that too, like specifically in web three too, right? Like we are saying in web two, like there's almost, I wouldn't say too much structure, but there is a lot of hesitancy because there is a lot of inner politics. There's a lot of money, I guess, at stake and depending on the organization and web three, like the fact that it is more community-based and you do get that, that feedback loop is pretty direct and it's fast, right? You know, it leaves room for experimentation. And then I think like pivoting pretty early on because the feedback loop is so much shorter and faster. So yeah. And I also think even Blake, I was going to message you too, like even internally for Myosin, like we're, we're kind of stuck in this place where we're like, do we just post things on TikTok and Instagram just to start posting? Like at the end of the day, like just got to get content out there. If it doesn't work, we'll pivot, blah, blah. But then there's the other side, which is like, we have to have a thought out strategy, like blah, blah. So I see both sides. I am on the experimentation side and Sarah is proving my point by the way, but yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for the shoe no, to drop. I, I'm right. I definitely, I've like experienced both sides too, or it's just this internal struggle. Cause you're like, Oh, like as a company of this size or like of this caliber, we should be having structure, but then yeah. you're like, wait, but sometimes structure just limits what we can do. Um, especially I like to call like, instead of like marketing campaigns in Web3, I just like to call them community experiments. Because usually when people think of campaigns in Web3, they're really lame. Like someone's just doing a giveaway. Someone's just doing a raffle. You get an NFT. Instead, we think there are more creative ways to market with your community and not at your community. And usually these ways are really experimental. So what we did once was we had like a mini governance experiment where we asked 
people to vote on the next protocol or app that they wanted to see in a quest on layer three. And we did this all on chain with JokeDAO. So this is like a really interesting experiment that you probably could never run anywhere else. And you probably would never be able to get any engagement or actually any marketing value out of it anywhere else. But in Web3, that's the kind of thing that sticks that incentivized like so many of our community members to try this, that it actually broke the system. And we had to like do a lot of things manually to fix that. But that's just a testament to the things you can really do to like engage your community. And you can really think out of the box because none of this is predefined and no one's saying like, this is how you market. This is who it has to be to do the marketing. This is how many years of experience you have. And I think that's one thing I really appreciate about Web3. This is a very eye-opening conversation, just to be frank, because as Julie just alluded to, it's highly relevant to even the conversations we're having. And now I'm just like, you know what, fuck it. Like, let's just do it. I think just to be like (laughs) transparent though, right? Like I think speaking from like the org side, right? As the leader of a a larger org, I think I'm all for experimentation. I think the, the only reason we've been hesitating on like pushing on social experimentation is more a matter of bandwidth of like, particularly within Web3, like, do we want to like spin out and experiment on like 20 different channels all at once? Or should we concentrate our bets on things we do know works? So it's not that I'm against, hey, we should do, you know, TikTok, Reels, YouTube, because frankly, like, I mean, even from this podcast, right, like we're creating lots of like great social clips. You'll be on that, Sarah. It's going to be meta at some point, right? <laughs> like here's a, here's a TikTok or a Reel about someone talking about. So I think it's <laughs> more just inception. like TikTokception, right? TikTokception. Like, <laughs> yeah. There we go. I think it's more like I'm happy to experiment. But the concern was always more, is like it a good use of our time resource. and bandwidth? Yeah. 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 But yeah. I'm sure, I think we'll, we'll figure that out. I mean, Do it's it right. fine. I'm right. I'm right. It's all good. <laughs> Just, there there are I'm, the magic I'm, words. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, too, I'm not too proud to admit it. So that's good to hear. I, w- I would like to kind of bring it back to layer three a little bit too, though, right? Because I want to better understand like the evolution. Because as you said at the beginning, it was very focused on more like DAO, uh, would you say it was like DAO ops and I guess like allowing people, DAO contributors to participate, right? And giving them incentives. How and when did that evolution happen into what we know today, right? Where you're talking almost like Duolingo for Web3, which I like as a tagline. Like where did, did that happen overnight? Was it a natural like evolution? Yeah, I mean, thinking about the timeline, it's crazy because it's been about a year since we did our big pivot and I can't believe it's all already and only been a year, but basically we, you know, we were doing DAO operations in the sense that communities and DAOs would host contests on layer three where people could participate to earn crypto or tokens or just money in general. And then we noticed something that was kind of interesting. We noticed that a lot of these DAOs weren't coming to get good quality work from people or really coordinate work on our platform, but they were trying to market themselves and they were trying to get exposure for their brand through our platform. So a lot of the stuff they did, like incentivizing UGC that was in service of them trying to market. So when we realized that we were trying to test a few hunches we had with regards to, you know, what would incentivize users as well. And we found that it wasn't the contest, which, you know, asked for like, oh, write a 500 word blog post for this amount of money or write a tweet thread or like, you know, take a photo of our logo in front of the Eiffel Tower or whatever that really interested them. Instead, they wanted kind of early access and also access to the products that they were interacting with. And then we found that there was a lot of internal data. So we launched this thing called Bounties, which are now kind of known as Quests. But what you could do is that you could instantly verify any on-chain action and then get some sort of reward. So like an NFT or just XP on our site. And we found that, you know, users love these. There was way more traction for those than we ever had with the previous contests. It was also just really hard to moderate any submissions for the previous contest. You would have to filter through so much spam. Users often didn't follow instructions. So that was not as scalable as something that you instantly verify on chain and then instantly gave users a reward. I think that really clicked for both our users, our community and for us. And we just kept doing these like daily, daily bounties. Again, it was just experimenting with 
what worked, what didn't, a lot didn't work. Like a lot of the things we posted, we were like, okay, we should never do that again. But then we eventually found this cadence where now we have this very solid structure on what kind of quests work, what actions users like to take and what kind of protocols they expect from us. So I do think it was this very, again, this very experimental journey, which we shipped a lot of different features and products along the way. We just wanted to do it you know, to the point where we could actually experiment and get direct user feedback on that. And I think Discord is a very powerful tool for that. But yeah, I think that's the long-winded explanation of how we got here. That's great. And we love long-winded explanations. You're on a podcast after all, (laughs) so don't worry. And actually, that's really, so that's really interesting to hear. And I want to drill even deeper into that, right? Which is, I think we talk about experimentation, what works, what doesn't. I'd love to tr- drill into what didn't work, right? Because I think there's so much to learn from. As, and that's how you got to where you are, right? Like constant iteration, experimentation, and, you know, just trying things out. Are there any like, and it's, a, you know, you can go as specific as you want, but it's more just like lessons learned, I guess, or experiments you tried more recently, even, you know, when you're launching these bounties and quests. Like we tried this thing, we thought it worked, it didn't. And so what happened, I guess? You know, I think there's this solidarity in building a Web3 product. So I, I do love like sharing and being vulnerable because I feel like we're all in this together and we're building in public. So if we're hiding stuff from each other, it makes no sense because it's just we want to advance the space. But yeah, I'm happy to share what didn't work, especially from the marketing side. I think for the product side, I can't speak as much. But for the marketing side, I think One thing that we see a lot and that we tried was having an ambassador program. So this initially was to kind of promote UGC and user-generated content, heighten brand awareness, and maybe have some connections between our communities and other communities that these ambassadors were in. We crafted this very complex, detailed, structured program where like ambassadors were expected to moderate Discord, they were expected to create UGC... And they would also earn commissions for any partnerships they sought for us if that partnership led to a paying customer. But I think the one thing we realized with that, we onboarded like 30 ambassadors and there was a lot of momentum and hype in the beginning, but it is very hard to like when you're managing ambassadors, you don't realize you're also managing. It's almost like you're managing employees because they're very committed. They want to do the work. Or like 30 um, interns across the internet. And you're like, how do I get, exactly. like, there's no office where you can like gather them and, you know, yell at them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's all, it's all remote. Some of them don't speak English as their first language. Some of them don't even want to be on camera. Right. So like, it's definitely very difficult. It was super difficult. And I think that was like our first mistake was that we thought, you know, like I should have known because I had experience working with creators, but these ambassador programs take a lot of resources and a lot of bandwidth to run. And every kind of Web3 protocol or project that I see thinking of a marketing solution, they usually do an ambassador program. Um, I just want to like shake them and be like, no, like don't start out with an ambassador program. Like that's your first mistake because you'll spend more time trying to manage these ambassadors than what you'll like actually get out of working together with them. So yeah, the main thing, ended up being that communication between ambassadors and partners was really low quality. A lot of them demanded a lot from us. They were like, why aren't you giving me a full-time role? Like, where are my rewards for this? Even though it's a voluntary brand ambassador program. So I think on that side, we definitely learned a lot of lessons to keep our program very nimble, lean, rely on the ones that we could rely on the most. And Again, it's just doing as much as we can with what we have. Yeah, that's that's just one, but I can elaborate on another one I can think of. But before that, we'll let you guys talk. First of all, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's actually like, I think a lot of listeners will find value in a lot of what we're sharing, both the good and the bad, because these are like Web3 101 marketing tactics that I think like any, you know, CMO or head of marketing will probably be their first stop to explore things like partnerships in general. I guess I'll make it more general, you know, content marketing, like social media. And with that, there's a flywheel effect, right? I mean, this all rolls up into what is most of the time a web three go-to-market strategy. So yeah, I would kind of just like to get your take on how relevant that like community versus content versus partnerships flywheel has been to your job and layer three in general. Yeah. And like, just how does that work? Like what portion is dedicated to what the most, and I I'll leave it at that. 
But afterwards, I would love to drill in deeper into partnerships, what that looks like for you guys and um, how that's evolved, what sort of organizations you guys typically work with. But first, start high level, community versus content versus partnerships, flywheel, what that's like at layer three. Yeah, I think that's a, a great topic. Definitely like the go to community idea has been very prominent in Web3. And we've seen it with a lot of great communities like you guys and then Safari, which is another community I'm in. It's definitely a great strategy. And I think that with us, it was a little different because one, we're like a two-sided platform. So we have a B2B and a B2C side. Our B2C side is the consumers and users of the product. And then our B2C side is the protocols and partners we bring on who then you know acquire users through the usage of our platform. I guess that's the flywheel. We have our community of users who are very eager to try new products, explore, like learn. And then we have the, the B2B side, which naturally wants to tap into these users who are already very crypto native. And I think there's definitely a very delicate balance in managing both sides. So I used to focus a lot on the B2C side. And I think the one thing that was really important to us was that we develop a community with the right incentives. So we always have focused our messaging around you know, you should come to this platform for a good experience, for things like exploration, for discovery, for learning. And your primary goal on this platform should never be to expect some kind of reward or financial gain. So I think that with that message in mind, a lot of people have been mad and a lot of people aren't willing to accept that. But I think it's really important because it just makes clear the priorities of what we're working on and how we're developing our roadmap. And again, I think it helps because, you know, it makes a lot of com our community realize that this is just not some low quality platform where they come to farm something, leave and then never approach again. So it creates these habits and expectations that are very different from some of the other questing platforms that we see out there. And then the other thing is that we've always, I think a lot of products in Web3, they just don't take UX very seriously. So the reason we have Discord and the reason we have a vibrant community where we spend a lot of time in is because we think that it's an amazing product feedback type pipeline. So a lot of the ideas we've taken for our product are taken directly from Discord or from user feedback. And I think we're operating very openly with regards to that while other companies, they have this like feedback process, but maybe they don't actually implement anything. And with DAOs, it can get very long and unwieldy and you never know like if something's actually going to happen, which I'm sure you guys have experienced as well with DAOs. So yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. Something that just came to me too is like, I don't, is FUD like a very real thing for layer three? Like is, as you mentioned, like obviously being just upfront from the get-go transparent about, you know, what the value of, of this platform is and what to expect, but what not to expect, I think maybe sets the tone right away and can help counter any, you know, misexpectations. But like, do you guys deal with FUD? Like, have you, is that something that you regular deal, regularly deal with? And do you find that like, yeah, discord or any other, even like crypto Twitter, like, does that help alleviate anything that does start to bubble up in terms of like your community sentiment or your user sentiment? Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely have experienced FUD and even like the FUD we've experienced, some of it was directly directed at me in the past, which isn't a great experience because I think crypto Twitter can be very immature in the sense that they like having someone to pile onto. But yeah, I think it just kind of goes in cycles uh, with market timing as well. That's just one thing we really can never control. And I think that we are lying to ourselves if we say like, oh, like crypto is not affected by market sentiment because it's probably the industry that's like most affected by market sentiment. We see an uptick in users when sentiment is good. We see, uh, uh, sorry, what's the word? We see churn, churned users when the sentiment is bad. And that's just something that is very much out of our control. And I think the ways we've like tried to control FUD in the past, it's been also a learning experience because I think there are times when we definitely try to control it too hard. Like we're like, oh, here is all the stuff we're providing you. Like we're going to provide you with even more rewards. Like we're going to do all these things to make sure you don't feel this way. And then we've also tended on the other side of the scale, which is just 
like, you know, we're not going to say anything and like, you like it or you don't. I think, again, there's a balance and most people should probably meet somewhere in the middle. But I think there's no good way of really dealing with it. I think it's just the nature of the space. And one thing that we realized that was a good PR move was just to give people and the community as little as possible to complain about, especially in terms of when you're addressing FUD, just like don't give them anything that you think will set off an alarm or will set off like a reaction essentially. Because when people are FUDing, they're not necessarily being bad or insensitive. They're just maybe, you know, they've lost some money and maybe they got caught up in the FTX scandal. So you never know what they're feeling. And the only thing you can really do is be empathetic, but you still have to maintain some distance in the sense that you can't like help everyone. And sometimes like there's just not much you can do. Um, But we always try to make sure that users feel heard and supported and their feedback is being taken seriously. And I think that's as much as anyone can do, really. That's super fair. That's super fair. Yeah. And I think especially, I mean, as you just said, like FUD is kind of the nature of the game. I I am actually curious, like how you feel. I mean, this is a very open-ended question, but I guess like as we are in the depths of the bear right now, you know, it seems like things are kind of turning around TBD. I think there's more pain. I think a lot of people do. Maybe we'll see things turn around early next year, but all this in mind, right? And with the current market sentiment, like how, I guess, how have things been going, I guess, or how how have you guys been adapting to this market, right? And then in terms of, you know, the partnerships or the brands that you're working with, do you find that even what they're coming to you with has evolved and changed or how has that morphed, I guess, in this current market? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think that for us, we've definitely focused on just, I think the one thing we focused on throughout all this is that we know that there are forces out of our control. So we've just doubled down on building the best product and the best experience we can, which honestly, like a lot of crypto products cannot say. The UX of crypto is just truly, it's truly awful. We have to deal with a lot of it because we're in there looking for new protocols and new apps to bring onto our platform every day. And it's just generally very abysmal. I'm hoping it'll go in a better direction, but we know that we have a value prop from like being probably one of the best consumer facing apps in crypto right now with a lot of usage. We're growing our users every month. We're very keenly aware that, you know, we need like we are basically trying to make ourselves a sustainable product and company. And I think we're very much on our way of doing that. I think we're already on our way. So I do think that, you know, I'm really looking forward to everything that's going to happen in the next few months. We've made a lot of product decisions and roadmap decisions that have really just generated excitement within the company. And I think we're working on a lot of stuff that will also fully integrate us within the Web3 ecosystem, if not already. So I think a lot of the stuff that has been in the works is definitely indicative of good times ahead and just general excitement. I think even despite being in a bear, because we have no token and because we don't have something that's inherently tied to financial value just on the user facing side we can focus on building our product we don't have to deal with you know if people fought our token then what's going to happen in the next few months i don't think we ever had those kind of doubts so yeah we're just focused on building the best product we can that's good to hear that's good to hear and honestly yeah having gone through you know and played around with layer three a couple times myself it can't be understood how important ux and a good experience is, <laughs> which is sounds crazy to say out loud but it's very real in this space, so I appreciate that. Okay, perfect. So we are starting to come up on time. So I only have one or two left, and then I think we'll jump right into rapid-fire questions. But I guess something that was kind of in the back of my mind yesterday when I was kind of like preparing and thinking this through is, you know, as Layer 3 continues to evolve, I guess, do you guys see a world in which you would want to partner with like more traditional brands? Because I think what's very interesting is you guys, what you're essentially doing is you're aggregating you know, this entire community that is fast growing, continuing to grow of Web3 native users and teaching them about how to use different products. And right now, a lot of those products are on-chain, you know, Web3 native companies. But, you know, when we talk about mass adoption, we talk about traditional brands entering the space and starting to adopt more Web3 native collectibles, assets, the list goes on. 
you know, is that something that you guys are thinking about or it's like in the distant roadmap and, and it's something, yeah, is that something you're thinking about, I guess, or is it kind of just, no, we're going to focus on, you know, being the best possible platform within the Web3 native space. Yeah. What's the thinking there? Yeah, I think because we're so focused on education and bring, bringing people who are not previously Web3 literate to Web3, that's a very important focus for us. And as part of our go-to-market plan, which I've been crafting out for the past few months, that I guess that vertical or that category of companies is definitely on my radar. And we've actually worked with some of them in the past. So I think the most prominent one we worked with was Internet Game. And I think they were working with the Saw franchise to actually create like this kind of treasure hunt NFT system to promote the launch of the newest Saw. And then people could buy NFTs and do stuff on chain to get a chance to win a raffle where they would be invited to the London set or premiere. They would get free tickets to the new screening. They would get a bunch of other prizes like a board ape. So that was really fun. And I think we tried that and it definitely you know, brought attention to the fact that there are companies that aren't Web3 native, but are trying to penetrate the space. So that's always something that we're we're interested in working with. And I think there's a lot of potential to partner with companies who don't really understand the dynamics of the space and need to be directed a little. But the only thing is, I think a lot of these companies are afraid to really just dip their toes. So that just needs a bit more convincing from all of us, I think. But it it really, I do think, is in the best interest of Web2 or like non-Web3 companies to do this kind of like native marketing. Yeah. And this is just me jamming out loud, right? But I think, you know, on our end, you know, we talked to a lot of L ones l2s right and i think so many of them are really trying to win more enterprise corporate brand deals right and i think there's there's something there i don't know what it is like sarah you and i should jam on this separately you know after this but i think there is something there of like it's not crazy to think of like striking up a partnership with um an entire l2 that's hungry to work with more brands and kind of position this as this is a distribution platform this is a place where the people who would want this thing that we're launching, they live right here and we can partner up, create that quest, that journey so that, you know, we can onboard those people much more easily. Because I think that's kind of that missing gap. And so yeah, it's, it's something yeah, to think about. Exactly. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. So we can definitely talk about that. Let's jam on it. I'm excited. We're all collaborating. See, there you go. But yeah, so I guess the last thing before we get into rapid fire is we'd love to hear like on the upcoming roadmap, right? What should listeners be keeping an eye out for? Is there anything exciting in the next couple of months that we should, you know, let people know about? Totally up to you. So I think the main really exciting thing that we launched recently was our API. And this is from, you know, a year of experimentation with just quests how these like on-chain quests work in terms of verification and making sure users can get through the flow. So we've launched this API that essentially allows you to build quests in your own app. And we've launched it with a wallet called Frontier Wallet. So now they have layer three powered quests natively in their own app, which I think a lot of companies have been asking for because they don't necessarily want the branding of layer three in their own quest. And their own quest is something that's really important for retention. So that's available now as an offering. And if anyone's interested, you can direct them to us and we can chat. Right now it's invite only, but yeah, super exciting. It's been in the works for a while. And then the next really exciting, you know, I don't, I don't think I can, I can definitely reveal more about the roadmap, but we have a few immediate product launches that are going to be amazing in terms of just engaging new ecosystems and making the quest experience on layer three even better. So I think those are the two big roadmap themes. The first is making the layer three experience even better. So more gamified elements, more social elements, making sure that people feel like this is a live platform and not just, you know, something that they see through a screen. We want to make the platform seem more human and just make it as fun as possible. So we've already launched a few features to enable that. And then the second is expanding into our in, into different ecosystems. So we launched ZK Sync support recently, and that's been really popular with a portion of the people who love ZK Sync. But we're looking to expand even further and hopefully 
you know, we are the go-to hub, not just for quests, but to just explore all of crypto. So you don't have to go to Twitter. You don't have to go to Telegram. You come to Layer 3 and this is where you get your information and your experiences and your education on crypto. And that's really the North Star for us is that we want Layer 3 to be this very cool and exciting place where you can do just about anything in crypto. So I hope that helps. Boom. You're already here first. I love that. No, that's great. And that's that's a really exciting vision. I think it's a really exciting roadmap for a lot of things coming up. So I don't know. Now now I'm all jazzed up. Now I feel like I got to go on layer three and just start <laughs> questing. Yeah, <laughs> the keep DJ questing, <laughs> you know, get those achievements. <laughs> we have a really funny achievement called weekend degen. So if you complete a quest during the weekend, then you're, you're a weekend degen. I freaking love that. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, Julie, do we, should we go into rapid fire questions and uh, yeah. take it away? So just kicking things off. First question, what is a Web3 project not including your own? So nothing with Layer 3 or anything else you're working on that you're most bullish on? Oh, God, that's a really hard question. I would have to say Hook. So it's this NFT options platform. I think people have wanted like a simple way to trade NFT options for a while. And this just seems like really great to me. I tried their onboarding today and it's amazing. And there we go. Okay. This next one we really like, which is what do you feel like has been your biggest professional learning over the past 12 months? I would say the biggest one that I've already touched on too, is just to experiment as much as possible. Don't be afraid to just try something out. Don't be afraid to be embarrassed. I think that Everyone has to fail sometimes in order to succeed. I love that. I love that. If you had $1 million, what would you build in Web3 today outside of, again, anything you're working on? So nothing with Layer 3 has to be totally new, $1 million. It would probably be a universal API, which could search up every single transaction across all chains and then abstract it into something user-friendly that you can actually search with. So there is a company building the user side of that, but I think the API has yet to be built. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it does to an extent, right? Because I think that just to like to take a quick like double click on that is like, I love the idea. I think the challenge will be, does every chain need to be on there, right? Because then it's like, is it <laughs> worth the integration, the time to like create that integration when, I mean, I might, I might have to take a, I'm not going to take a shot at any one blockchain, but there was some news that came out on like crypto Twitter the other day of, Swee's like active daily users is like 400, like total. So it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and again, you know, maybe that'll change. And I, I hope Swee is successful in whatever form, right? But like, then it's this question of like, which one should we integrate? Probably the EVM ones. And then you just go for the 10. That's it. Anyways, that's just like me like playing it out, being like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's super, it's so like, you know, it's weird because EtherScan is just the preferred way of like searching any on-chain transaction. And it's just, it's pretty horrible. <laughs> like, again, like not solid UX. Yeah. Anyway, I, I digress, but yeah. Amazing. And then the last one here is, do you have any crazy predictions in Web3 by end of year 2023? It could be anything from crypto to Web3 to regulatory to whatever you want it to be. What's on your mind and what do you think is a crazy thing that could happen? Gosh, that's really hard. I, I also like, I hate being wrong. So <laughs> I feel like you got to experiment. You got to try. Immortalized on the I'm like, I'm definitely going to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think this sounds like a, I'm, this makes me sound like a bit of a negative Nancy, but I think a lot of companies that raised at incredibly high valuations in 2021 are going to fail and become zombie companies by the end of 2023. And it just comes back to like, I guess, like why a lot of us are building in this space. I think in 2021, this was very difficult to say there was just money being thrown around everywhere. And it's unfortunate because now you have people's livelihoods depending on something that barely has any traction. And it just really goes to say that like, you know, I think finding product market fit is very difficult in crypto because you have all these other factors that basically like skews what your perception of what product market fit is maybe like excitement for a token um, excitement for an airdrop the number of people who use your product before you have an airdrop like all this stuff is just very hard to control so i do think that before 2023 a lot of the companies who didn't take this into consideration will have to face a really harsh truth 
But I guess a positive one is that I think there are more and more people learning from that. And uh, I think that there will be more growth leaders in crypto who really prioritize sustainable growth, sustainable marketing, and actually thinking about these things in a holistic perspective beyond like, oh, let's partner with someone and then like say we're having a partnership and do a giveaway and that's our marketing strategy. I think that more people will start taking it seriously. And that's a good thing because we need to make crypto like something that's actually marketable and something that's actually useful. So, yeah. I love that. And I, and I can tell you, I can relate to that very highly because I think when Simon and I were getting Myosin off the ground, it was Feb 2022, FTX hadn't quite happened yet. We actually, the first crypto conference we went to was Crypto Bahamas, hosted by FTX. Like, And I remember people were asking <laughs> us about, they're like, what do you guys do? We're like, we're a marketing down. They're like, what the, what? And like, you know, at that yeah. time, it's like launch token and moons. You don't need marketing. And I feel like in just the past year, especially towards the end of last year, people were starting to be like, oh yeah, like this marketing thing, it kind of matters, right? To actually grow a company. So just just to echo what you're saying, right? And and echo that sentiment is like, it is important to have those sustainable strategies and, and you know, growth frameworks. And it's really amazing, honestly, just to hear all the cool stuff you've been doing and how you got there with layer three. And yeah, just really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about it. It's been really fun. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, just to just to add to that, I'll keep it really short. But it's just some of the the people I've talked to is just insane hearing about their marketing strategy, right? They'll be like, Oh, yeah, we're hiring like a residence memer or like, you know, we want our content strategists to like really know how to make memes on Twitter. Or, you know, we just all our marketing strategy is, is just like, talking to people and like having these partnerships and then that's it. But there's no like true distribution or engagement on either side. And it still shocks me that, you know, some of these companies even got off the ground. But unfortunately, that is the case in terms of having too much money floating around. But you know what it is? It's not even that. I think it's like what happened in traditional tech just amplified because now there's tokens and there's easier ways to monetize in a more digital world. But like, you know, in Peter Thiel's zero to one, right? Like he wrote that pre quote unquote, when web three was getting popular and he, in literally his book, he's like, you know, if you build it, they don't just come right. Like product market fit requires a good enough product. So it's not to be perfect, but something that's good enough and a great go to market. You know, there's countless examples of situations where, you know, we're all building the plane as we fly, as I like to say, but it's just like getting that balance. Right. So it's been good. It's been good. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Julie, anything else from you or you feel good? No, I'm all good. It was so nice meeting you and learning all about layer three, the marketing stuff you've been doing, super insightful conversation and very timely for us, just both internally and with some of the clients we're working with. So yeah, great meeting you. Great chatting. Thanks for having me on and just allowing me to talk. I feel like I talked forever. I don't know if that's normal. That's what a podcast is. Don't worry. You're, You're totally fine, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, and there's awesome. a lot of really valuable alpha and insights in there. So really appreciate you just sharing and being vulnerable. And this was awesome. So really excited to publish this and let the world know. So with that, we're going to say goodbye. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great night. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of W3G. If you'd like to learn more about Web3 marketing, please visit myson.xyz and subscribe to our newsletter to get started. And if you're a fan of the show, please be sure to show your support by subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.